0: When you spend more than 20 years at a company, you get to see all of the ways that things change over the years, and you play a part in revolutionizing a company and sometimes an entire industry. That was the experience Norm Feldheim had while he was working at Qualcomm. And today, he's helping to bring about a new kind of revolution. Today, Norm is the Senior Vice President, Chief Information Officer, and Head of Global Facilities at Illumina, which is a leading developer, manufacturer, and marketer of life science tools and integrated systems for large-scale analysis of genetic variation and function. Companies like 23andMe and Ancestry.com rely on Illumina to do DNA sequencing, and scientists and doctors all over are using Illumina technology in game-changing research. Norm explains how all of this is happening and what it means to be working on such important technology on this episode of IT Visionaries. Enjoy. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org.
1: Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. We have, on the other line, Norm, what's going on? Hey! So today we're going to get into your background. Uh, we're going to talk about you know what you all are working on at Illumina and
2: much more. So first, how did you get into technology in the first place? I actually got in sort of by chance. Uh, I was originally an architecture major in college then changed to business management, and it had to take a few, few uh, computer programming classes. And it, something just clicked. I really enjoyed programming. It came naturally to me. I uh, ended up uh, changing my major to business information systems, then got uh, a few jobs out of college programming. A few years uh, after graduation, I ended up joining a little startup called Qualcomm as their first IT Person within the company, and spent the next 28 years uh, at Qualcomm, uh, the last 17 of which as CIO. Yeah,
1: and so and I definitely want to kind of dive into some of those early Qualcomm stories. But first, so what's kind of the scope of your role at uh, at Illumina as uh, as SVP and CIO? Well,
2: so I actually have two roles here at uh, Illumina, but first and foremost is IT. And it's global IT, so everything from networks and infrastructure, cloud infrastructure, data centers, all the way up through business systems, analytics, AI. We also include cybersecurity, so I'm responsible for cybersecurity both on the product side as well as business and intellectual property, company confidential information, personal information. So soup to nuts on the IT side. But in addition to that, I've also been responsible for global facilities here at Illumina, and that's been a fun thing to do because there was a lot of synergies, especially as we were building new campuses, to bring technology and our workplace together. So we've been able to really create uh, what we call our workplace of the future, bringing technology into the workspaces, creating collaboration spaces that have embedded Technology to enable collaboration for our employees it's been a fun marriage uh, of two disparate organizations yeah, so pretty unique that you have the global head of facility
1: role that's not a not, not a common thing in i t that's correct yeah so why why do you feel like that was important for
2: you to have? even when I was at Qualcomm, I took on a number of disparate roles uh, I ran indirect procurement, I ran uh, technical publications, I ran the PLM process, configuration management. They knew when I was interviewing that I could take on additional roles beyond just IT, uh, and particularly roles where the organization was not performing as successfully as they would like it to. Uh, so, I kind of had that skill set and, and reputation to be able to fix organizations. And turn them into world-class organizations. So they said, "Hey, we've got this facilities organization. We think there's some some synergy here. You have some background uh, in facilities in the sense that I was an architecture major. My dad was a contractor, so I knew facilities from that standpoint. And it actually worked out far better than anybody expected, including myself. Uh, there was a lot more synergy. We were able to bring a lot of technology to bear on facilities to help our employees." that combination has been a very positive one for me personally, as well as for the company. So for your IT roles, what, how do you look at, you know,
1: security versus product? How much time do you spend with, with customers? You know, I know obviously in the type of, uh, in the type of company that this is, I'm sure you're not, you know, sitting there with, uh, with gene sequencing, uh, every day. (laughs) um,
2: That's, that that would be a really scary thought.
1: Indeed. But, uh, but I am curious, um, how, how do you
2: kind of break up the IT, the IT work in your organization? Uh, so first and foremost, I focus on the organization. We're doing a lot of different things. Uh, we do about 120 projects a year, you know, so there's no way that I can be in the middle of everything and I have to have a very strong team. So we, have a, we run a decentralized uh, IT structure. We have a, uh, alignment with the business, and I have dedicated teams to, to the business. And that's first and foremost, and, and making sure that team is rolling at, and performing at a high level is my primary responsibility, or one of my primary responsibilities. I certainly spend time on cybersecurity, but again, a little more on the focus on making sure the team is there, setting the strategy and then letting them go execute. I tend to be you know, what I call an exception manager. I focus on the problems and things that need to get fixed versus spending a lot of time on the day-to-day operations. Uh, there are people that, you know within my organization, that that's their focus and, and they're good at it, and, and I just let them go. So my job is a lot of times you know, knocking down roadblocks, putting away, setting the strategy, uh, dealing with issues as they come up, and then, you know, as the business changes, doing those course corrections. You know, sometimes those are kind of immediate. You know, oh, wow, we're doing this customer right now. You know, needs this, and we got to go react to that. And other times, it's the longer term and, and laying out the technological roadmap for the company. No week is the same. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, no week feels like it's ever ever the same.
1: Do you find that? like coming into the role after spending so much time at Qualcomm, like what what was it about this role that was particularly like exciting or or, or interesting to you? You know, being being with the company for uh, for for, you know, uh, just under twenty years, I'm sure, was something, you know, a big jump is, is was next. Why why'd you do it?
2: Yeah, going from a you know, long time at, at Qualcomm and coming here, you know, it was interesting. When I was leaving Qualcomm, I made that decision. I was going through some interviews and, and, and looking at different opportunities. All of them were outside of tech. I, I must have had 20 different interviews to different companies, and, and not one of them was in tech, and not one of them was actually in California. Uh, and that was actually a goal of mine. I wanted you know, something new, something you know, of interest and challenge. And then Illumina popped up, and it's actually right down the street from Qualcomm, but it's very different industry, uh, they were high growth, and just kind of starting off on, on their journey. I mean, it wasn't quite a startup, I mean, placed for a while, $2 billion. But the IT organization was still very nascent and, and, and you know, a lot of outsourced, and, and they were looking for somebody that had been there, done that, and, and knew how to scale an IT organization up to $5, $10 billion company level. Uh, so that was intriguing. And then genomics is, wow, I didn't know much about it. And, and it is fascinating. So those opportunities to come in and do something that I felt I was good at and, and could build up a, a strong IT team and, and knew how to do, as well as learn a new industry and a new company and a new culture. It, it was a great combination. And I could, felt like I could bring something to the table right away, but also a lot of learning, too, right at the beginning. So it, it's been fun. Really enjoyed it. Well, and for our listeners who don't know much about the company, can you kind of share from a high level like what you all are, are working on? Sure. What we're you know, most famous for is the consumer side of genomics. So Ancestry, Drivers.com, uh 23andMe, what are the technology underneath those platforms? Uh, we actually do the DNA sequencing you know, for those companies or, or, or they use our technology to do that. And that's what we get a lot of perception around. But that's actually not the core of our business. Our, the core of our business is doing whole genome sequencing, you know, taking a person's DNA or you know, any living things' DNA and sequencing it, turning it into digital data that then can be analyzed. And we have companies that are doing research around DNA. So we have researchers, some of that time institutions. But we also sell into the medical industry, uh, healthcare, labs, and hospitals, and pharmaceutical companies that are using DNA to create personalized medicine, uh, either as a service or you know, as a drug regimen or treatment regimen. It's amazing you know, what people are able to do with the technology and the ability to sequence the DNA and then compare those results and make diagnoses and help... You know, with women who are pregnant, and uh, you know, we're literally working to cure cancer or helping you know, to cure cancer. The mission of the company is to improve human health through the power of genomics. It's a pretty powerful mission, and, and something that's I'm proud to be part of, and it's actually happening. Uh, it's been fascinating to be part of. Yeah, and what what are some of the. Um...
1: What are some of the ways that kind of like you partner with business? Cause I know that that's one of the things that a lot of CIOs particularly, you know, struggle with at times, but it seems like you've done a pretty good job of this. Is this something that like, you know, you're providing insights to, to the business side or are you,
2: do you kind of you know, stay a little bit more away? I'm curious your approach. It it varies from group to group, and a a lot of what I've needed to do here is create the platforms that the business uses. You know, where I'm not in the business of trying to do everything, uh, I view IT as an enabler. So we have analytics capabilities within IT, but there's a lot of that within the business. And they use the platforms, the analytics platforms that we've created to do their own analytics uh we've created an ai platforms you know to so they can you leverage that you know there's lots of ways that we're enabling the business and that's been a lot of fun we have the business come to us and say hey here's the business problem we're trying to solve help us solve it and we can apply technology to that uh, a lot of that is the fundamentals you know we have processes that are broken how do you how can we help get those processes to be working more effectively, more efficiently. Uh, We have compliance obligations. We're a healthcare company. So how do we make sure that we're meeting all those compliance obligations in an effective and and efficient manner? So IT gets pulled into lots of areas of the business, uh, everything from our e-commerce site where we sell products to supporting our sales organization, field service. We're a manufacturing company. We build product. We do that in four different locations around the world. We do uh, all the manufacturing systems and support those and, and implement those you know, on behalf of the factory. Accounting, you, know, you name it, we're partnered with uh, every aspect of the business to deliver technology so the business can scale and grow. Switching gears to Qualcomm. So did you say you were the first IT person? Yeah, there was only 100 people at the company when I joined it. So, we're, what were what were early days looking like? <laughs> uh, early days were kind of crazy. We were actually a defense contractor when I joined the company. Then we became a satellite communications company to the trucking industry, and we really didn't have the systems in place at the time. Really running this, the company on spreadsheets when I got there. You know, I was, you know, chartered with putting together the ERP systems that they needed to run the company, run the factories that we were building all this equipment with. When I got there, they had, they were in the process of implementing a system and it was a failure. It really didn't work, uh, it, it didn't work as advertised, certainly, so they we needed to do something else and I said, well, why don't we just build, we'll write our own ERP system? And I was really young and foolish and, and very naive and I had no idea what I was signing up for. Well, we actually went and did that. We wrote our own ERP system, and we ran the company on that for the next twelve years. And it was a grueling project—you know, eighty, ninety hours a week for fifteen months. But we pulled it off. I would never sign up for that. You know, knowing what I know today, I would never sign up for that. But at the yeah, time, I was just going to add. I just, I just, you know, thought, okay, yeah, we can do this, and. Somehow you know, we did. Uh, you know, I, I pulled together a really terrific team. I got the cooperation from the business, and it was really well received and, and worked very well for the company for many many years. Later on, you know, we outgrew that system and and it started implementing Oracle and other ERP systems and you know, made acquisitions. And the company transitioned from. Uh, a, Manufacturing company of communications equipment uh, to cell phone manufacturer uh, base stations. And ultimately, all that was sold off, and the company became a chip company and a technology licensing company. So I had to go through all those evolutions uh, and create an IT organization that could support those transitions, business transitions, and transformations that took place. And that was a lot of fun. It felt like I was at a number of different companies over the years because the business model changed so dramatically, and the systems had to change, and the organization had to change. So I don't really felt like I just had one job there. I felt like I had many jobs just at the same company for a long time. So it was a lot of fun. I learned a tremendous amount. Uh, The company named me CIO in 1999. I was 40 years old, and they took a chance on me. It, it always worked out very well for me. I, I assume since they kept me there for 17 years that it worked out well for the company as well. Uh, we built a, a very, very strong IT organization, very proud of the accomplishments we had there as a team. When you
1: run an IT org for that long, you're kind of like there for a bunch of different tech kind of innovation cycles. And I'm curious... What that was like, because I'm sure there's a ton of our listeners who, you know, obviously are have not been, you know, with the company that long and kind of seen that sort of thing progress. So I'm curious. Like it seems
2: yeah, like I, I certainly wouldn't recommend it as a career. Actually, it worked <laughs> out well for me, but no, I, you know, staying at one company that long is is not a good idea. Uh, it certainly was a little bit of a, a, a damper on my resume when I was starting to look. Yeah, there was you know some skepticism as to whether I would actually be able to succeed at another company after being at Qualcomm for so long. Yeah, you know, so uh, you know, I don't, necessarily don't recommend that for anyone. You know, unless you happen to you know join a company like Qualcomm. But in terms of the the business transformations and the technology transformations, yeah, you know, there was you know, I brought the internet into Qualcomm. You know, that was weird to think about now because we take it for granted so much. But you know, that didn't really exist you know the early 90s you know came in later you know so it's it was a lot of fun to bring those technologies to watch this and also be part of it Qualcomm helped usher in the the mobile device mobile phone so we were early adopters uh, of our own technology so we were deploying mobile phones and deploying applications to mobile phones business applications mobile phones in the early 2000s, well before any smartphones you know, actually existed, it became a, a lot of fun to partner with the product development organization, the engineering organization, to actually try out some of these technologies that they were creating to enable you know, mobile applications, you know, video on, on phones for the first time, video conferencing on phones for the first time. Looking back, I didn't quite realize how revolutionary it was at the time because it was just, okay, here's another project. We're going to go do it. And it kind of goes back to, well, you know, if it's in front of us, we'll just go do it, you know, without even realizing maybe how tough it would have really was to make that happen and how unique it was. Yeah. I mean, one of the
1: things that you hear a lot of CIOs talk about is when they come into the organization that choosing what legacy thing that they're going to have to replace and kind of saying like, hey, you know, I'm going to blame this on the old gal or the old guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but when it's you who made those investments in technology, it's, uh, and you have to rip something out. Kind of nobody to blame but yourself. I'm curious, did you ever have those kind of situations with leadership where they're like, you just bought that. Like, why are we ripping this out already?
2: There weren't too many you know, situations like that. If there was you know, a situation like that, it usually was that the, the business had changed. And, you know, so what we had was no longer able to do that job, not because it was a bad set of technology, it was just the requirements changed. The company, you know, it was an innovation company, very technical. A lot of times they were driving this shift to new technologies and they were viewing IT as, you know, being able to enable that. So if something became obsolete for whatever reason, you know, it was not that big a deal because they were more focused on the future than the past. There were a few exceptions where you know, we bet on a, a company and a technology and then they went belly up or got bought and the company you know, no longer invested in them and we had to move you know, off of those technologies. But it really not as much of that was attributed to us. Uh, you know, it's just things that happen in the business and, the, and in the industry, and, and people were aware of that and, and realistic around that. If I got dinged on things, it was more that I wasn't moving fast enough. I wasn't bringing in the new technology fast enough. They, they wanted to move at the speed of light, and you know, when you have compliance obligations and security obligations, and you have investments that are in, it, in our place that you know you have to integrate with, you can't always move at the, the pace of. know, hey, let's just go install this on my computer and and be done with it. Uh, So that was more the pressure I faced at Qualcomm was that that high growth. And the company was growing 25% annually for eight years in a row. Worrying about the legacy stuff was not as big a problem as keeping up with the growth and being able to support that growth and getting the, the, the right tools in place to do that. And the company was prepared to make those investments to support that growth.
1: Do you feel like, kind of after that time, you know, you were involved in other organizations, you know, joining boards, doing things like that? Like, I'm curious, you know, because you were able to stay at a company for so long, it seemed like you had a lot of opportunities to join different boards and things. I'm just, I wonder, even though you're a one organization, if you kind of like diversified kind of the network personally by being able to be involved in so many other types of organizations? Because I think that that's something that, if you're switching around companies a lot more, it might be potentially a little harder to keep up with a bunch of boards if you kind of have to continually kind of reinvent yourself in a new job. I'm just curious.
2: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good question. Uh, and you, you hit on something that was a mistake that I made early on in my career. I was very internally focused and didn't really participate in, in networks of my peers or with the vendors beyond what you know, we were doing at Qualcomm. And that actually turned out to be a mistake. I wasn't able to keep up with what was happening in the industry. I wasn't getting good ideas from, from my peers. And, and I needed to make a conscious effort to actually look outside and participate outside and, and build up my network. That was a a very beneficial thing, not just for me personally, but for Qualcomm. I was able to learn about new technologies that then I could bring into Qualcomm. I was able to partner with our vendor partners, be on their advisory boards, and influence the product roadmap and in a positive way for Qualcomm and make sure that those uh, requirements, business requirements were being met by our partners as they invested in their products that we were using. So the investment was beneficial for me personally, but first and foremost, it was beneficial for Qualcomm. So those advisory boards that I was on were always with strategic partners of Qualcomm, whether it was Oracle or Verizon or AT&T or or some other vendor, HP. These were our strategic partners, so it was worth the time for me to invest in that. And because we were doing a lot of innovative things, uh, our partners were interested in having me and Qualcomm be a member of their advisory board because we could push them. We could you know, say, hey, here's what the future is going to look like. This is what you need to be prepared for. This is what you need to be able to be delivering to your customers uh, in the future. So it was a mutually beneficial relationship. And through those advisory boards, I created a network of peers and then ultimately joined just some peer group, uh, CIO peer group organizations, councils that were not vendor specific, but actually just us as uh, CIOs, uh, people that I respected and could learn from. And again, it was well worth my time and energy to get that Advice uh, and mentoring from my peers and, and good ideas, and, and hopefully I contributed some of that back. So, did you do things like customer advisory
1: councils and, and, and things like that? Were you were you involved in those as well? Mm-hmm. Very much so.
2: In fact, I ended up I created some of those, you know, for, or helped. I was a charter member for several of them when these companies started to you know, create them. You know, I was you know the first one of the first people that they asked to join. that was quite an honor.
1: Well, I'm kind of like curious when you were starting those versus like years later when you kind of saw the fruits of the labor, because I think there's um, like when we talk to some CIOs, they've kind of thought about things like that or they're trying to kind of figure out partner strategies Mm -hmm. and how to do those things, especially when you're like selling into IT and you're a CIO. Yeah. um, Because that can kind of be a tough relationship. But like, I'm curious, looking back on it, you know, years after setting those things up, were you ever like surprised kind of, you know, maybe how hard it was getting going, but how fruitful they
2: they ended up being? Or I'm just curious, like looking back on those. So mostly I wasn't setting them up. I was a participant. You know, there was a vendor that was setting those up, you know, one of our key partners. Uh, But I helped them with that and gave them advice on what I thought would work and not work. Some of those uh, suppliers did a good job with that. They created advisory boards that were a high value for the people that participated, uh, and I believe they're a high value for uh, the partner. Uh, Oracle, uh, early on, had a very good advisory board. SAP, uh, now I, I participate on uh, the SAP one. It's a very high value advisory board. There have been others that I've been part of that were a lot less so, and you know they weren't run well. Uh, The customers that they had participating were really not forward thinkers. You know, they may have been spending a lot of money, but they really were fast followers at best. So I wasn't learning anything. I don't think the companies were learning anything from those advisory boards. And I didn't stay on those. There wasn't anything that I was getting out of it. And certainly Qualcomm or or now Illumina was getting out of those. So I was selective in which ones that I would join. And I didn't always stay on you know, the same ones. So, you know, for example, with Qualcomm, you know, Sprint, Verizon, AT&T were all customers of ours, uh, as well as suppliers. It was important for me to not be perceived as biased. So, I spent time on Sprint's advisory board, I spent time on at I spent time on Verizon's, so that I was contributing, you know, as much as I could to the success of all our customers, uh, not just one. And then we you know, partnered with them and, and worked with them uh, all. So I didn't want them to feel like I was biased against them or biased towards one of them as a potential supplier.
1: I want to switch gears back to some of the amazing things that Illumina is doing. You know, I'm curious, one of, uh, one of our producers bought uh, 23andMe for, uh, for a Christmas present. Mm-hmm. And uh, with 23andMe and Ancestry and things like that, and you all being the underlying technology, I mean, it seems like it is such an exciting time mm-hmm. for, you know, the future of um, just really understanding like who we are, which is so cool, but there's also kind of like some privacy concerns there and things like that. Absolutely. You know, and I'm just curious, like these, you know, the amount of data, the amount of access to this is is
2: like never before. How do you all view those sort of things? So we take privacy very seriously. This is uh, personal health information there's nothing more private it can be more private you know we need to make sure that we are protecting that information when we have it. Uh, we don't try and monetize this data that that's not our business model. we enable people to do you know DNA research and, and they can do you know analyze the data themselves or they can use our tools to, uh, to help them do that but it is it's a tool that we've you know provide ultimately, and and we want people to be able to take advantage of this technology. And we are seeing that in so many different ways, uh, you know the power of it is incredible. Uh, there's a story from uh, a few years ago we were developing a instrument and a test to do uh, help with genetic screen- screening of babies uh, you know for pregnant women. Uh, And the standard practice has been an amniocentesis, drawing uh, amniotic fluid out of the uterus and then testing that for the baby's DNA. That's a very high-risk procedure, both for the mom and for the baby. We developed a technique that can extract the baby's DNA out of the mother's bloodstream so you can do the same test with then just a blood test, Uh, obviously a much less invasive Test, uh, you know, and, and less risky for the mom and the baby. So that's a, a, a significant advancement. But while we were going through that testing process, uh, the clinical trials, one mom that was part of that, we noticed a anomaly in the DNA. And at first, they thought maybe there was something wrong with the baby, but the baby was fine. And then what they realized was they were actually detecting cancer DNA. In the mom's bloodstream. And it turns out she had stage four colon cancer and didn't know it. She was in her uh, late 30s, mid to late 30s. So we were able to tell her doctor that and uh, as soon as the baby was uh, ready to be born, they induced labor and she immediately went into chemotherapy and she's alive today uh, as a result of that. But that was crazy, you know, amazing to think about. We could detect cancer And a blood test. And as a result, the company ended up, it was was so big to be able to do that, to to actually turn that into a real test. So we spun off a company called Grail, got funding from the Bill Gates Foundation, from uh, some venture firms uh, in Silicon Valley, uh, Jeff Bezos at Amazon. And Grail is now uh, well on the way to being able to detect cancer at stage one. It's incredible. Using a blood test. I and mean, still years you know a number of years away but they're actually being able to prove that the technology works uh, and is uh, able to detect cancer at least as effectively and in some cases more effectively than tests uh, that are readily available today that's the kind of power of this there's a drug company that has developed a cancer drug that is about 90 something percent effective against a certain kind of cancer. But the only way to know if you have that particular type of cancer is to actually do a DNA sequence of the cancer. So we're now mirrored up with that drug company. You get cancer, you can get the cancer sequence, and then you will know whether this drug sequence will work for you or not. You don't have to go through chemo to actually find out whether the drug is going to be effective. That's kind of what happens today. They try out a drug, and if it doesn't work, they try out a different drug regimen, you know, different chemotherapy. Personalized medicine is not just about your personal DNA, but it also extends, you know, in this case, to the DNA of the cancer, being able to treat the specific cancer that you have, being able to detect if you have an infection, exactly what kind of infection you have, and making sure you get the right antibiotics uh, to deal with that infection. Uh, we've got stories around that, and and where DNA sequencing has been uh, effective in, in, you know, in disease treatment. Yeah, I mean, the stories just go on and on and on. It's it's incredible. So, what's next for the company? Um, you know,
1: what does and especially you know for the IT organization, like how do you, you know, how do you think about the employee experience and making sure that folks on your team can stay productive? Uh, And keep up with technology and keep up with innovations when they're working on you know some of the hardest things, most impactful things uh, you know in the world. Since
2: I've got uh, you know arrived here four years ago, a a lot of the focus has been on you know laying in our digital foundation. You know many of the systems were older. uh, The company had evolved, so we've been upgrading our digital foundation or putting it in place. In some cases, it didn't even exist. So that's been our primary focus over the last four years will essentially complete that in the middle of this coming year. So the shift is now towards being able to leverage those investments, turn to you know become even more of a data-driven company than we already are, enabling analytics, uh, using AI to gain more insights uh, into that uh, process automation, you know, we're looking at uh, applying AI to our processes to look for opportunities for process improvement and process automation, RPA. But it starts with knowing what's going on in the company. and We want to use AI to map out all of what's happening at the company you know, from a process you know, and data flow perspective, and then be able to, to fine-tune that or, or, in some cases, you know, really clean it up if, if it's a broken process. Uh, we don't have, I don't think, too many of those, but we certainly have processes that we believe we can scale more effectively. So it's really that we're at an inflection point where we're shifting away from putting in all our platforms to leveraging all of those investments and, and delivering more value and really creating an even greater employee experience and an even greater customer experience than we have today.
1: Okay, let's get in the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience, you can go to salesforce.com platform to learn more. And I highly recommend all of our listeners go do that. Go check out Salesforce Customer 360 platform. Fast and easy lightning round questions. Norm, are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, my quick reaction was solitaire, but actually, I, I think LinkedIn is what I'm on the most on my phone, you know, besides email. Uh, I really enjoy the connections and, and uh, the people I network with and, and learning about what they're doing and keeping in touch with them.: What is
1: your favorite thing to cook or eat?:
2: You know, I, I'm going to go right back to a, a hamburger. <laughs> I, I love hamburgers. You know, I, I can't eat them like I used to. I, I have to be careful with that. But I love to cook them and, and try out different recipes. And I love experimenting with those at uh, different restaurants, too.
1: What do you do for fun? Uh,
2: I actually have a hobby that is 3D graphics and animation. So I try and do the same kind of things that you see in the movies uh, with creating 3D characters, uh, both cartoons as well as uh, real life, you know, uh, or, you know, photo realism, whether that's, you know, designing and creating a 3D building or character or a science fiction or a superhero. I, I really enjoy that whole 3D modeling and being able to create art using my computer. What
1: technology are you most excited about going forward?
2: Oh, it's got to be AI. I mean, if I, you know, I've talked about genomics already, but AI from a pure... IT perspective, what we're going to be able to do with that, uh, and the kinds of problems that we're going to be able to solve, uh, I think is just amazing, and, and we've just touched on it uh, so far. What is your favorite vacation spot? I love big cities, but if there's one place I'm always going to go back to, uh, it's got to be Italy. I love Italy. It's, it's just an amazing country to visit. Do you have a favorite animal? Dogs. Yeah I love my dog we've had you know several dogs and they're just such a part of our family. What is your best advice for first time CIO? Make sure that you are partnering with the business uh, effectively you know at all levels. You can't just focus exclusively on the exec team, you can't just focus exclusively kind of down at the rank and file. You have to work all levels of the organization. To really get a sense of what's important to the organization, because you will get different messages and different requirements from different parts of the organization and at different levels. You have to be able to synthesize all those inputs, all those requirements into your IT strategy. Because if you miss one, you're going to be failing. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? What's the right balance of investments in IT? We get sometimes so caught up with the short-term, we got to have that this quarter. What is the right long-term investment for IT? What level of investment should we be putting into infrastructure, into security, uh, into our business applications? What should we be... You know, So making sure that those investments are balanced for the near-term business needs as well as the long-term business needs and across the IT organization is very easy to get either caught up in near-term and forget the long-term or, you know, one area of the business and, and then other areas are underdeveloped or underfunded, underinvested in, and, and you ultimately end up with a problem. Norman, that's it. That's all we got. That's it for,
1: uh, for today. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug?
2: No, I, I, this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the, the conversation. I, I thought you did a great job. I love the questions that you asked. That, that was great. Really good job.
1: Well, appreciate it. And uh, we definitely uh, will have to have you back. This this was great. Thanks so much. Bye-bye
2: now.
0: IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.